0: I hate when people try to put rules into my life, especially rules that I see as needless, rules that, uh, that God hasn't given me especially. And I, I think, and my wife would tell you this, and she knows me better than anybody, that I, I place really high standards on myself. And so uh, it annoys me, it makes me angry, it bothers me, it frustrates me when other people try to put rules onto me that that I haven't already put in place for myself or uh, even more that, that God hasn't put in place for me. And uh, one of the ways that, that this kind of played out is that I never lived on campus at Corbin University uh, because, in part, when I was a freshman, it was their last year of having a curfew, and I, I, I just was like, there is no way... That, that I'm going to go from being a 17-year-old who doesn't have a curfew, whose parents let him stay out until whenever because they trust him to make good decisions, to somebody that's now 18 years old, officially an adult, and at that time you really feel like an adult, you know, feel less like an adult every day, but but you know, I'm an adult now, and now you're going to tell me that I need to be back a- at 11 p.m. at night, and it's like not happening, not not going to work. It was the same in, in the way that they treated relationships and like if you're alone with somebody, it was going to be a, that's the opposite gender. It's like they're going to look at you and, and think that you're doing something wrong. And, and it was like this, this is not happening. Like I am, I'm not going to have rules that I see no need for that God hasn't given me and that I didn't have last year when I was a senior in high school. And I've noticed just in general these types of things, this type of thinking, when people try to put these parameters around me, uh, they make me feel like I guess like a trapped dog. I mean, to put it in terms that that we might be able to understand, like I just I kind of want to you know bite somebody. I want not not literally. Hopefully you understand that, but I, I want to I want to react negatively. I want to rebel in some ways and. You can see this in, in society, and last week I, I talked about how I have a tendency, and, and not just me, but everybody seems to have a, a tendency to kind of force their morality on others or to try to push their morality on others. I talked about how Christians, we don't have the right to do that when it comes to people who are not Christians, who have never subscribed to our morality, who have never said, I'm going to follow the rules of the Bible. But what I've seen is, especially in Christian circles, sometimes we want to take it a step further and we want to do our best to help people that are Christians follow the biblical morality, the morality that they have subscribed to. And so we try to put parameters around people that that God didn't necessarily put around people. People a- and when this happens in my life, I want to react negatively, and I think I'm not alone in this because I've seen so many people just say, I'm, "I want to fight back. I'm gonna, I'm gonna break that rule, and I'm gonna take another step forward." I'm and and if you came came from a, a household where where your parents were really strict Christians, and and you might have reacted negatively, like you got some freedom, and you're like, "Well, now I don't have to follow that stupid rule," and so let me just let me just. Kick against all this other stuff and and just totally rebel and go the opposite direction and start to do things that that I don't want to do anyway and I uh, that are actually against my morality because I thought this rule was stupid. And I'm going to take it as far away from that as I possibly can. Culturally, we kind of see that this is how it works and and you can look at, at uh, the history of the Jewish people in the Bible and kind of the history of our country and you see kind of this idea where one generation is in love with God, they're on fire for God, the next generation will, will, will take it a step further and say, well, to keep this rolling and to keep this going, we need to kind of create some more rules so that people kind of continue down the same path, and then the next generation reacts against it and says, well, uh, I'm not going to follow those rules, and I'll kind of reject you know morality in general, and I'll kind of make my own morality, and it's pretty easy to see kind of in, the, in that spectrum where we are in America today, where, where we look. And we we see like, you know, we, we've come out of, in the American church culture, uh, maybe some legalism and, and some rules that, you know, like you can't go bowling and you can't go dancing. And, and out of that, you've seen kind of a rejection and people have just said, well cares about morality, you know, all of those rules, like, I I can bowl, obviously, so I can obviously uh, have sex with my boyfriend before I'm married to him, you know, and and you see kind of these giant leaps where it's like, well, I will not be held down by your rules that are not God-given, and so I'll kind of reject it outright. This happens in Christian circles and outside of Christian circles, and today I want to focus more on on Christian circles, partly because we're in church, but but that's not always the case here for me in my sermons, but but I I just think that, that what we see today and what Paul talks about in the passage of scripture we're going to look at is going to be helpful for us to see how we ought to respond to those rules that aren't necessarily rules. And I'll be honest, this is What we're going to look at today is a very difficult passage of Scripture for me. Uh, The timing of it uh, is almost funny Uh, in our church with some things going on. uh, The... The passage of scripture is only one, and this is so weird as I look back at, at my college days and, and just being around church. I've been around church for a really long time. Uh, what I've only seen this passage almost used as the opposite of its intent. Uh, it's like, and we'll see this in a minute, it, it's either used for people to say, I can do whatever I want, like I just talked about, don't hold me down, which Paul is going to very much speak against, or or it's used to be like, hey look, you need to do what I ask you to do because otherwise you're offending me, and so you know, don't have a drink of alcohol and don't go to movies because I might be offended. And the point, the driving force behind this passage of scripture is is almost the opposite of how I've only heard it used in my Christian history. And I'm sure there's been great sermon. This isn't going to be the first good sermon on this passage of scripture, but I've just never, I've never heard it actually taught on. Uh, I've just heard it kind of used in passing conversations and and very incorrectly, I would say, Um, and so it's a difficult passage of scripture, and before we look at the passage of scripture, you kind of need to understand where Paul is coming from as he writes in, in Romans 14, 1 through 23. Paul spends a great deal of time, and the biblical writers spend a great deal of time talking about how we are free in Christ, how when a person becomes a Christian, they have a freedom and a lot of people think the opposite, right? Like if I become a Christian, then I'm going to be weighed down by these rules and these things that some aren't even in the Bible and I'm going to be bothered by that. But the Bible tells us that we're free and we need to understand that that doesn't mean we're free to do whatever we want, whatever we feel like. Uh, when the Bible talks about freedom, I just, I'll give you a quick synopsis here with some verses. The type of freedom that the Bible is talking about, uh, we have in Galatians five one it says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So we have freedom, but in Galatians, if you just rip that out of context, you're like, yeah, Jesus died for me. And this is, this is how that verse, I'm sure, is used. like, Jesus died for me, for so stay off my back. I'll kind of do whatever I want. But when Paul writes the book of Galatians, he's actually reacting to a group of people called the Judaizers. And they are saying, if you want to be a Christian, then you need to follow the Old Testament law. You need to make sure that you don't, cut your beard, you need to make sure that you don't get tattoos, you need to make sure that you kill people when they commit adultery, and they probably wouldn't have gone that far the Judaizers, but you need to follow the Old Testament law if you're going to follow Jesus. And when Paul in Galatians 5.1 says it is for cre- freedom that Christ has set us free, he's actually saying that we are free from following the Old Testament law. We don't need to follow the rules and the regulations of the Israelite people. In Acts thirteen thirty nine we read through him everyone who believes is set free from every sin. So we see here we've been set free from sin. We no longer have to give in to sins. A lot of people want to say, "Well, I've been set free. I can sin all I want." But Paul says we've actually been set free so that we don't have to sin. And the reality is, apart from Christ, and I know this will rub you wrong if you're not like a churchgoer, you're not a Christian, we don't believe, and this is part of what I said last week, like, why hold you to our morality? Because we don't believe that you can actually live out our morality apart from Jesus. Romans 8, 2, through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death, we have been set free from both sin and death, meaning that someday when we die on this earth, we will continue to live in eternal life in the presence and the glory of Jesus in, in holy and utter perfection. We have been set free from eternal death. E- Ephesians 3:12 in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. We now, as Christians, have freedom to enter into the presence of God. That is one of the reasons that we get to go to heaven someday when we die as Christian people because we can be in the presence of God. Immediately upon the death of Jesus, a veil between the presence of God and the rest of the world was torn in half physically. And God, it was saying in that moment, you can have access to me. You are free to be in my presence. Now here's the difficult part, and the part I don't like, and if we were going through a list of passages of Scripture that I don't really like in the Bible, and I know that's really bad to say, I think Romans 14 might be up there. It just, it's not something that as a longtime Christian is is comfortable for me, and it's because with freedom, with Christian freedom, comes a non-uniformity of practice that makes Christians different from other religions in the world you go look and you study other christian or other not christian religion other religions that aren't christian and what you find is that people need to go through a certain amount a certain level a certain steps a, fill out a checklist and make sure that they are doing this, this 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 and this and when you come to a worship service you'll find that you have to do this 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 and this I think that evangelical Christianity is very unique in the fact that God, when it comes to practice, allows for us to live out our faith in a way that is not uniform to everybody else. Now I want to just pause, stop, think, make sure you hear this part of what I'm about to say. This is not referring to things that are inherently wrong and sinful. The Bible has many, even in the New Testament, beyond the law of the Old Testament, statements, commands, things that if we do them, we are wrong. And if we don't do them, we are wrong. Other things. There is a a thing called sin, which is a disobedience to God. Primarily disobedience to the things that God has told us in his word. And so our freedom is freedom in the things that God has not already told us we can and can't do. That's very clear. But it still makes us uncomfortable because there are things that for me even seem wrong and I want everybody to kind of follow because it feels wrong, it seems wrong. And there are things that to you don't seem wrong and you say, well, I just, I want to do this and it seems okay. And the question becomes... What do we do with these things, these disputable matters? Now, Paul is going to talk in Romans 14, 1 through 23 about things that people are doing that they don't necessarily need to be doing. In 1 Corinthians 8, if you want another study on this, and you should go home, read 1 Corinthians 8 through 10, because it's a very similar subject. But there it's about people not doing things that they could be doing. And so Paul kind of teaches this from two different perspectives. It's not just about what you can't do and what you can do. Uh, it, it's both of those things kind of combined. And here is what Paul says in Romans 14.1 except the one whose faith is weak, without quarreling over disputable matters. Now let me be just up front and get your focus in the right area. The things that are being disputed are things that have to do with the Old Testament law. The weak in this passage, as we'll see just in a second, Paul refers to the weak. The weak in this passage are probably Jewish Christians who feel the need to live out the Old Testament law still? Now it's really fascinating because Paul says, "Accept those people who are weak, without quarreling over these things that are not inherently right or wrong." When this is talked about in theological circles, the term is "adiepha," and it comes out of a teaching from Luther and uh, from Martin Luther, and and that means "adiepha" means disputable. Matters, And these are things that are not talked about within the confines of scripture, things that we can't point to verses and say, this is right and this is wrong. Now, some take it to mean only the examples that we see here, and that is an okay perspective. And some will see it as being a little more open to other things, such as a couple of things that I've mentioned already, like going to movies and having a glass of wine. But one thing that we must guard against in this passage, it must be guarded against because it's so often how it's used, is the tendency to say, well, look, let's just open it up to everything, because the Bible makes these specific commands, but we, you know, we can't Clearly and obviously, state that it's wrong for me to punch you in the face, Uh, and so you know that's kind of disputable. The Bible has no command not to punch somebody in the face, and so you know it's good if I walk up and I hit you. Like I, uh, it's disputable, man. Let's not argue about it. Romans fourteen one says, "Don't argue about these things." So calm down, be calm. I had every right to hit you in the face. It doesn't say anywhere in the Bible, and this is the tendency with Romans fourteen one and the rest of the passage is to just say, "Hey, it's okay." you know it's okay whatever i do because you know some most people that are going to think like this are going to be like i you know i haven't read the bible i don't really know what's in there but as far as i'm concerned i've never seen a verse that says don't punch anybody on the in the face and so for me it's obviously a disputable matter stay out of my business we must guard against that romans 14:2 and 3 says this one's person face Let me, not their face. Now I got everybody being punched in the face. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does. For God has accepted them. Paul gives this first example. What he's talking about is the eating of food, and what was happening for Jewish Christian people especially living in pagan places like Rome, is they, they wanted to eat kosher. They wanted to eat things that were ceremonially unclean, if you, or, or clean, excuse me, uh, if you've ever heard that term before. And, and they knew that if they went down to the local market, it wasn't going to say, like most of our hot dogs now, like kosher food, this is okay for you to eat. And, uh, and, and so the, the Jewish people, some of them, stopped eating meat altogether. They were like, if I'm going to be a good Christian, I need to follow the Old Testament law, and therefore, because I'll never know where this meat has been and what it's been through, and if Gentiles touched it and all of that, I'll just stop eating meat altogether. Now, when you think about these people, he calls them the weak, but we might call them the fundamentalists. We might call them the ultra-conservative, and these people are the people that say, "I, I really need this extra rule in place for me to follow what i believe is right and on the other side you have these people who are saying i don't need to follow the old testament law and 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 so i'm going to eat all the meat i want and i'll buy it at the cheapest price or the best looking steak and it's not i'm not going to be even concerned with that what's the what's the big deal here and in this church the church in rome it's creating this tension And it's a tension that we still have today and oftentimes we might call it a tension between fundamental and liberal, but I think that that's probably going too far because I don't even think fundamentals are way on one side and and liberals are, are... you know, open a lot of times in liberal Christianity to doing whatever you want aside from what the Bible says. I think this is like the the, the more conservative and liberal end of things that are falling within what the Bible teaches. This is not like way out like, you know, that what we think of as fundamentals. I hate you and you do it just like me and put your shirt and your tie on and King James only Bible and, you know, you're a bad person if you get uh, a piercing. I actually heard a radio commercial for a church in Kaiser where I grew up one time that said... This is like almost a quote. If you are sick of tattoos and piercings and long hair in your church, we have a church for you. (laughs) Sweet, huh? So I don't think that these people, the, the strong Christians in this are like, uh, or the weak Christians are like way over here. Like, you know, we kind of hate everybody, don't have church with me. And, and I don't think the the liberal in this situation is way over here like, dude, yeah, free love, man. I mean, whatever works, whatever's good for you is fine for you. I think we're we're kind of looking more in the middle where these people are both really trying to serve God, really trying to do their best to honor him, probably loving, and it's creating this tension, as it will, and you know this, because the more liberal person often looks at the more conservative person with contempt. Like, oh, you're so old-fashioned. You're so unlearned. You're just, you're not as bright as me. You know, you you produce people that are, you know, blue-collar and not white-collar like me, you know. I mean, I, I drink cappuccinos and not lattes because that's just, you know, that's just not cool enough. And, like, I go to the art shows, and and you don't understand art, and you don't understand the Bible, that, that we're progressing, we are progressing forward, and there's this contempt from the more liberal and again in this in the spectrum of all probably conservative by our standards but there's this there's this kind of contempt that happens from the liberal side to the conservative side and on the conservative side there's this this judgment that takes place and that is what our series is about and the, the more conservative people often look at people who don't follow their rules and regulations and go man you just you just don't really care about what God thinks you don't really care about serving God you don't really care about Jesus and following him and being obedient you're just out there kind of doing whatever you feel like doing and, and there's this judgmental attitude that, that always seems to come from the conservative to the more liberal and Paul says it's like he's talking to the American church today almost he's like hey more liberal people don't show contempt more conservative people don't be judgmental pause again Remember what I talked about last week? When we see a brother or sister in sin, it's important for us to point out that sin to him. This doesn't mean that we have no standards. This doesn't mean that we throw out everything and say, well, I just can't say anything to you about anything. This means things that are disputable matters, things that are gray areas, things that are adiaphora. He continues in Romans fourteen four. who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. Now, last two weeks ago, we saw do not judge out of Jesus. And then last week, we saw from this very same writer, a man named Paul. He said to the people, Why aren't you judging the sin in your church? And now, here Paul comes back and says, Who are you to judge? think, wow, what a flip-flop. And I've said, and I'm going to say it again. I'll say it again next week. This is a sermon series more than any other sermon series I've ever done that you need to take the four sermons together. If you miss one of them, you need to get online, get on iTunes, get on Stitcher Radio, and you need to listen to all of them because there is a balance that takes place in the Bible just sadly and making it difficult for people like me who are trying to preach the God, preach the Bible for God. There, there is not a lot of balance in any of the passages. And I've said that people in this topic just pick a verse and they're like, see what it says? And this would be one of those verses. Who are you to judge me? And I talked about a couple of weeks ago what this doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that we don't make judgment calls. As Christians, we are shown that we are not supposed to, to give the gospel to people who are going to trample it, who are going to mock it, who are going to make fun of it. We are supposed to be aware of false teachers within the church. Those take judgment calls. It doesn't mean that we don't have a moral standard, that we're like, oh, yeah, whatever, man, I'm not supposed to judge, so do whatever you want, whatever's right for you is right for you, whatever's wrong for you is wrong for you, but those don't interact with us. The Bible is full of moral standard. And it doesn't mean that we don't, sorry for the double negatives, I couldn't find another way to say it, that we don't point out the immorality in others. That's what last week's sermon was about, and you can go look at that passage of scripture, 1 Corinthians 5, we are clearly told to point out the sin, the non-gray areas in other people's life. What it does mean is don't decide who is good and bad. And that happens a lot between the liberal and the conservative, right? Like, well, you're just wrong, and you're bad, and I can't be on your side, and you're just, and I don't like you, and you're not the type of person that comes to our church, and you're not the type of person that comes to our church. Look, you have a tattoo. I mean, and this kind of attitude, and, and we judge, like, you're bad because you don't fall into my category. The other thing it means is that we don't condemn and we don't punish. We try to help people out of their sin. And sometimes that looks a lot like punishment, but it's really just helping a person become disciplined in the Lord. And here, it probably means don't call others immoral for doing or not doing that which is a disputable matter. Romans 14, 5 and 6, One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. Now, here's another example. There are people, Jewish people, who are saying, well, I need to keep the Sabbath. I need to celebrate the three festivals every year, Passover, Shavuot, and the other one. I need to make sure that I fast when my people fast. I need to make sure that I am following the Old Testament rituals for days that we are supposed to follow. And there are other people in the church that are like, hey, first of all, I'm not Jewish. Second of all, I don't feel a need to do this. Jesus didn't say it. Paul hasn't told us. And he's writing us these letters. I'm going to treat every day exactly the same. And Paul says, look, don't judge in this area the other person and their practices. We still have this today. It's, I mean, you look at, at certain people, and and there's like Sunday has to be the day we do church. Absolutely, you got to do church on Sunday. If you don't do church on Sunday, you do everything wrong. Uh, the Seventh Day Adventists, it's it's like Saturday is the day, and you need to do it on Saturday. You know, there's other people who are young. They're like, I can't believe that you people have church in the morning. And I'm actually finding more older people say that I would love to visit your church, but it's too early. And uh, and, and uh, I've had that conversation multiple times with people that you know maybe this is like ageism but I, I was like man I thought you woke up at like 6 30 a.m. every day um but but it's like it's too early and some people are like you got church at night man church at night is the way to go and, and there's this like still conflict over these things and Paul is saying hey don't judge the other person on this topic don't judge these things. Now, but this is, this is where it all gets messed up because this is like, this is one of those verses like, I'll do what I want, stay out of my business. But notice the language that Paul uses here. Everybody ought to be doing everything that they do for God in order to please God. He says that the one who has special days does it for the Lord and the one who doesn't have special days does so to thank God. And when this passage is oftentimes used, it's like, I'll do what I want. Stay out of my business. This is a disputable area. Don't bother me. Leave me alone. But look at what, like, the heart and the drive of Paul. He isn't saying call somebody out if they're doing something that's not for the Lord. He says, says, don't call each other out on gray areas because Paul is thinking that every Christian, the things that they do, is going to be for the glory and the honor of God. This passage is so misused in that regard where it's like, let me do what I want. I don't, I mean, God hasn't said it and, and I'll just do what feels good and what's easy and what makes sense for me. And we're totally just leaving God out of the equation. And Paul is like assuming that Christians will do whatever they do for God. And I think this is like the first, I mean, the first point that, that really I just want in your heads today as we look at this passage because it's so oppositely used of this, is this, don't hear, I can do what I want. Hear, whatever I do, I need to do for God. It's a big deal. Paul says in these gray areas, don't judge each other because he assumes that Christians will be doing everything that they do for God. Romans fourteen seven through nine, for none of us lives for ourselves alone and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord and if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. Paul says, your life exists so you can bring fame, honor, glory and worship to God. And it's interesting because he switches from the first person singular, excuse me, second person singular to the second person plural, I meaning he switches from you to we. He switches to you and your responsibility to us and our responsibility. And a lot of times, and again, this passage is just so poorly used, it just, it's incredible, but it's like, I can do whatever I want, stay out of my business, And Paul says, each of us has been created. The only reason that we have life is to bring glory and honor and fame to God. The only reason, but get this, we are not autonomous. While we are free, we are not autonomous because we together are the church that are striving to glorify God. And this is gonna be a big deal in a second, but this is Paul's foundational statement. You are not an island as a Christian. And in America, we wanna tell ourselves, it doesn't matter what I do. Like I, just, you know, I got my life, they got their life, they can stay away from me, they can stay in their own business. And Paul makes pretty clear here that while we are free in Christ and that we ought not judge each other in disputable matters, we are in this together for the glory of God. The truth is, when you look at your individual life, when you look at it and, and, and people can look at you and they say, man, that person really loves Jesus. But when they see a community of people, a group of people, a church that is passionate about God, that is passionate about bringing worship and honor and glory and fame to Jesus, that is when people say, whoa, there is something different about this Christian thing. Now, I just, let me make, this is very, very important. It's just, it needs to be clear to you. If you're not a Christian, it changes nothing about what I just said. You have been created in order to bring glory and worship to God. And if you are not a Christian, then you are failing. At your God-given purpose, the very reason that you have life, the very reason that you will even die, and everything in between is not being fulfilled if you have not given your life to Jesus. It's interesting here because it's the most, I think this is one of the most forgotten parts of the whole entire gospel. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord. We say Jesus is Savior, We really like that, like Jesus died and rose again to save me. He is the savior of the world, but how often do we think Jesus died and rose again so that he could be the Lord, the ruler, the one who reigns over my life. We give this cheap gospel where it's like Jesus died to save you. Jesus did die to save you. He died to save you and so that he could be the one who commands and rules over your life. Jesus died and rose again so that you could have life forever in eternity, but he also died and rose again so that you could serve him with full obedience. And whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, you need to make a decision to not just look at Jesus as this Savior who kind of died, and if I choose to get life forever, then I can choose it, but if I don't, no big deal. His death and resurrection point to the fact that he deserves your everything. Not just something. Romans fourteen ten through 13. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will acknowledge God. So that each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. He quotes from Isaiah 45, 23 here, and surrounding that verse in the Old Testament it is the fact that God is God alone. And Paul is saying, look, when it comes to disputable matters, you have no right to create new rules because God is God, and he is the one who will judge. And so why, if God has said something, is not, if God hasn't declared this is wrong and this is right, would you feel like it is your responsibility? Again, this is things that are not inherently immoral. This is things that are amoral, things that are not bad in and of themselves and things that are not good in and of themselves. But God, I mean, Paul makes clear that God is looking down and he's saying, hey, I'm the judge. I am the judge. So how dare you put into place rules that I have not put into place? But again, again, a couple of just, and we're going to, this is so important because a lot of times people, and I know this is like 12 times I said this in this one little sermon. I haven't even been going very long yet, but a lot of times people just want to use this passage to go, hey, God's my judge, stay off my back. But think about this, think, 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 God is your judge. That's a big deal. That's not like, hey, I can do whatever I want now because the Bible says that this guy's gotta stay off my back. I mean, this is, God is going to judge you. The Bible declares that we will all sit in front of God and and Christian and non-Christian alike will answer for the things that we did or did not do in our lives. Christians will automatically get into heaven because we accepted the, the death and resurrection of Jesus and made him our savior and Lord. But even us, who are saved by the grace of Jesus, will stand before God and will answer for what we have done and for what we have not done. You should worry very little about what people think of you. You should not say, well, I'm open to do whatever I want because I can get this guy off my back from this verse. You should instead live a very holy and righteous life because God will stand in front of you and you will bow before him and answer for the things that you have done. We try to say like, oh, if I can just have humans stop judging me, then I can kind of just get away with anything that I want. Who cares what a human being says when we must answer before the living God? Now listen, listen, This Paul's about to switch gears, and he, he's kind of uh, been talking about how we should not judge, and he's talking about us looking down on the weaker brother who who says, I need these rules in my life. He's saying, hey, you can't start judging them and and saying you're wrong about these disputable matters. But he's kind of gonna flip gears here and he's he's gonna talk to the strong people because Paul sees the danger, I think, in what he said. I really see the danger in what he said, but Paul sees the danger in what he has just said and I think he wants to guard against it because what Paul is about to make clear to us Is that while we have freedom in Christ, and in these gray areas, we should not judge each other. We should not condemn each other in these disputable matters. Sometimes we open ourselves up in this freedom to do things that have a negative adverse effect on ourselves and others. Now listen to this, listen to this. Before we get to what Paul addresses in Romans 14, this is so important. I I wanna address some other things that he says elsewhere, three things that Paul says sometimes that when we talk about this freedom and when we look at these disputable matters, these gray areas, what we do is we use them to hurt ourselves. We use them in order to cause problems, and it's probably in our intent. We just want to be free, man. But but we use them in a way that really hurts us. And here's the first one, self-deception. Sometimes we use our freedom for self-deception. Listen to what 1 Peter 2.16 says. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as slaves to God. That's big time. Because normally we talk about freedom in Christ, and people are pulling out these verses. It's the opposite. It's like, yeah, like I can kind of, I, I, can do what I want, man, and I'll just, whatever. It's not wrong, because and you're doing something wrong when you're doing self-deception. You're like sinning. We're like, hey, it's not really in the Bible, and you know it's wrong. Self-deception. The next one is self-destruction. First Peter six twelve says this. I don't know why I said First Peter. First Corinthians six twelve. I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. Paul makes clear that we should be doing that which builds us up in our character and not that which tears us down even if we can't point to a Bible verse and say, well, that's wrong or that's right. The next one is self-created slavery, 1 Corinthians 6, 12. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. Man, people use their freedom in Christ all the time to do things that become addictive, that become a problem, that, that really hurt them and hurt others around them. I remember one time a person said, well, point to me in the Bible where it says you can't smoke and Like, okay, and I I pointed him to a verse way out of context, and I regret that now, and thankfully he pointed it out to me. Your body's a temple, which is, if you've ever used that for smoking cigarettes, then go read it again, the whole context is not a good, it was not a good argument. I was young, I I, I was just like, I got one, you know? And and, and so uh, the guy is like, that's about sexual immorality. I was like, You know, I didn't have my U version Bible, so I kind of had to believe him. He was right, I was wrong. I don't say that very often, but he he was right, and I was wrong, and, and, and so... I just stopped. And I don't know why. I got really wise all of a sudden. and I, I it, Like in a good way. It was like, hmm. Cigarettes are going to kill you. I don't need to prove it to you spiritually. <laughs> like that's all I said. And, and, and what he was doing is he was using his freedom in Christ to do something that was destroying his body. And people do this not just physically because that's less of a concern to me today even though I don't want you to. But they do it for things that are spiritual. Like, well, you know, the Bible never says that I should read the Word of God. It doesn't ever say that. You know, wake up and read the Word of God. So whatever. Leave me alone. Don't tell me I need to read the Bible more. But that's destructive for you. And it's not something that is profitable to you. People do this all the time. People all the time say, look, I'm free in Christ, and so I I can kind of pretend that what I'm doing is not wrong. Self-deception. I I can ignore the fact that this is hurting me and hurting others around me. I can kind of be a slave to stuff. The Bible never says that I can't watch TV for eight hours a day. Yeah, is that good for you? And so people use their freedom, and they point to these gray areas, the audiophora To say, I can kind of do what I want. And they hurt themselves. And now Paul flips the script. And he says, in these areas, there's something else you need to keep in mind. Romans 14, 13 through 14. Instead, make up your mind not to put a stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean unclean. Paul says don't put a stumbling block or obstacle in the, way or a brother, in the way of a brother or sister. This is another issue besides self-deception and self-slavery that Paul says if you are using your freedom, if you are living in these gray areas and it is causing somebody else to stumble, then you are doing something wrong. A stumbling block refers to something that gets in the way of another Christian person and causes them to be hurt in their faith, to do things that they think are wrong, that are sinful for them because of what Paul says here. Something that that person thinks is wrong, therefore becomes wrong for them. I want to point out that not everything, everything is unclean, but only everything that is not specifically regarded as unclean. This doesn't mean everything is okay to do. It means everything that is okay to do is okay to do. Does that make sense? Good, yeah. Paul's saying if it's okay by God, then it's okay for you, but if somebody thinks it's wrong, then for that person, it becomes wrong. And this is key. He's saying, look, if it's going to hurt somebody else's faith, then you need to be really careful. You need to probably not do it. He's not presenting relative morality. You can kinda of think whatever you want is right or wrong. He's saying in these gray areas, in these disputable matters, you need to pay attention to how it affects the other people in your church. Romans fourteen, fifteen, your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat. You are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Now, distressed is more than bother someone. It's about hurting their faith like stumbling block. And it's strengthened by the word destroyed. And and listen to this, John 3, 16. You may have heard of this. It uses the same word. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, same word, but have everlasting life. That's pretty serious. Like in these gray areas, Paul is saying, don't do something that's going to reverse what Jesus did on the cross for that person, it becomes wrong for you to do something, even if the Bible doesn't say it anywhere, if it's going to hurt somebody else's faith, if it's going to reverse the work of Christ in their lives. Romans 14, 15, if your brother, if your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Notice, as I read it again, what the scale should be for you in these gray areas. The scale should not be, what can I get away with? The scale should be, what is the loving thing to do? That's a big deal. The scale is not, how far can I go and still be within the bounds of what Christ has called me to, what Jesus holds me to. The scale is, what is the loving thing to do? And then Paul, 6 verse, this is, therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us, therefore, make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. Paul says, look, the kingdom of God is not just about what you can get away with in these gray areas. It's about peace, It's about righteousness, it's about joy. And he probably doesn't mean the way we sometimes think of those three words is like our interaction with God. He probably means our interaction with each other. It's more of a horizontal than vertical thing that he has in mind. The kingdom of God is about us being in unity together to fulfill the purpose of Christ, to lead every person to him and into full obedience to him. The kingdom of God is about us, a church, being in love with each other and doing in everything that we do the right thing for the other people. And if something is causing somebody else to be hurt or to stumble, to give in to a sin, then you ought not do it. He says that the kingdom of God should be lived out in a way that leads to peace, us loving each other, being connected to each other, being in relationship with each other, and mutual edification, the growth of other people that you are part of Christianity with, specifically that you are part of a church with. The kingdom of God is not about what we can get away with. It's about peace and mutual edification. Let me just ask you these questions Is what you're doing leading to peace with other Christians? Is it helping other Christians to grow? Or is it hurting your relationship with other Christians? And does it have the potential to hurt them spiritually? Does it destroy the work of God? Does it hinder or hurt the work of God? And Paul might have in mind here, does it help or hurt what the church is doing? Will it cause someone else to stumble? Will it cause another Christian in the church to sin, to do something that they think is wrong that would be bad for them? Will it cause your brother or sister to fall? And here's what Mark nine forty two says. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. This cannot be taken lightly. So, whatever you believe about these things, it's interesting. Whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat, because their eating is not from faith. And everything that does not come from faith is sin. Man, here's I just this is what I see so clearly, and I it, it just this is what I want to get across. So often when it comes to disputable matters, we are quick to judge other people and not look at our own problems. So often we want to say, well, you're not following my rules and we judge people, but the people who are doing the things, that are more open, they're condemning others by what they do, they're hurting others. And our attitude needs to be more like Paul's. Because this is what he says in 1 Corinthians 8, 13. And think about, this is a huge statement, so important for the context. And he's talking about the same stuff here. These gray areas, these things, they're not inherently sinful or, or inherently not sinful, good for us to do. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. Also, I have the right to eat meat but I'll never do it again if it's going to hurt somebody else's conscience and cause them to do something that they don't think is right. In 1 Corinthians ten twenty three and 24, he says this, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. What we do should be constructive, even if it is permissible. Man, I just, this is what I want to hear. Do what leads is what I want you to hear. Do what leads to the mutual edification and the peace of our church. Not saying, what can I get away with? Not judging in the disputable matters. Not condemning for people, the people who are open to things. But instead, doing what leads to mutual edification and peace. Doing what leads to God's glory being moved forward on earth a couple more quotes only when liberty is liberty to deny oneself and not just liberty to enjoy all that god has created has provided that god the creator has provided is it the liberty of the spirit of christ and then martin luther a christian man is the most free lord of all subject to none a christian man is the most dutiful servant of all I want to read 1 Corinthians 9, 1 through 5, because Paul, I think, has the right heart in this. He says, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am an apostle to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who sit in judgment on me. Don't we have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us? As do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas. Or is it only I and Barnabas who, have the lack, who lack the right to work for a living? He goes on to say, but we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. And then 1 Corinthians ten thirty-one through 33. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jew, Greek, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. The question is, is, is your behavior... Is it helping the church move forward? And this is how I want to say it. This is the statement that I want you to have in your mind. On disputable matters, judge self and not others. You need to hear both parts of that. Because a lot of people say on disputable matters, I'll do whatever I want, whatever feels good, whatever easiest. But on disputable matters, you should be the strongest judge of self but you can't, according to the word of God, judge others. In fact, I would offer that nobody should be able to judge you more strictly when it comes to disputable matters. Nobody should be able to judge you more harshly because you're already looking in yourself and saying, I'm doing the best thing for the good of my fellow Christians, for the lost who need Jesus, and for my church. Galatians 5:13 one more verse, you my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not in, use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather serve one another humbly in love. We are free, but the barometer, the, the gauge for which we live our lives, whether it comes to the topic of judging others or whether it comes to our behavior, should be love. not what can I get away with now not how harsh. Can it be towards somebody else but love? I've seen this demonstrated beautifully in our church before. We've had several people in our church who struggle with alcohol addiction, and I have seen our people make decisions not to drink at certain events because they don't want to be a hindrance to other believers. And it's always impressed me. They had the right, according to the Bible, to drink and not get drunk. But they chose to give up that right in order that somebody else might not be hurt. I've seen love in our church in beautiful ways. But we must continue that. We must be a church that puts love first, that does our best to lead our congregation to peace, to mutual edification. Judge when it comes to disputable matters. Judge yourself. Judge yourself strongly. Judge yourself even legalistically if you need to. But don't judge others. Jesus, I pray that you would take my words and you would put them into people's hearts in the right way this morning. You know that I've done my best with this passage of Scripture, my absolute best, Lord. And now I rely on you to let it be received in the way that it needs to be received, God. And I feel like I've just thrown out this this handful of seeds this morning, God. And I pray you'd plant them in the hearts in the right way. God, I pray that we would be a church that is neither judgmental nor a church that puts stumbling blocks in the way of others. I pray, God, that we would be a church that judges our own actions, even harshly, God, but judges the actions of others in a way that only follows what you have said. Sometimes, God, those lines are really hard. Sometimes those lines are difficult for me to determine um, what is sin, what is not sin. And Lord, I, I, and this is sad, but I dislike our freedom sometimes in you. It makes for challenges, God, that's, That are not very fun. But Lord. We thank you for the freedom. I thank you for the freedom. Despite the fact that it is sometimes hard for me. And I would ask Lord. That in our congregation. We would know exactly. Where the lines are. But even more God. I pray that we would not be a judgmental church. And I pray that we would not be a church. That tries to teeter some kind of line that tries to get away with what we can get away with, that is harsh to others when they don't follow our rules. But I just want a church that is full of love and grace and unity, connection, Lord. God, I pray that you would always be at the center of everything we do. You would be at the center of our attitudes. You would be at the center of our decisions. You would be at the center of our actions. I love you, Jesus, and I pray these things in your name. Amen.